don't lose faith in yourself you know and what you can do like do not let anyone tell you what you can or cannot do uh, don't do that and don't be that don't be the person who tells others what they can do and can't do that's the first thing this is Iyad Al-Tarabi and welcome to Chapters of My Life podcast. How do you react in situations you can't find a solution? How do you learn from setbacks and see the opportunity in your life that you have a choice? And before we jump in right into the next episode, just a quick overview. What is actually Chapters of My Life podcast? First of all, I want you to imagine your past life. Right, where should I start? I'm Daniel Ludwig, trainer and leadership coach by profession, and I'm always fascinated to look back in life and turn your life stories in form of a book for other generations to learn from, but also for yourself as self-reflection and to gain new life energy. It's a challenge itself, and frankly, not everyone has thought of this. As we always think, when we get older, we should write our own life book. But in fact, we have so many experiences ready to share with others, achievements, failures to learn from, positive and negative life transitions, which in the end lead to the person we are today. This Chapters of My Life podcast is an inspiring collection of life transitions packed into a podcast audiobook format, capturing the willpower and belief of people during important life-changing decisions. So I want you to imagine two scenarios. Around 45 people, one house in the Gaza Strip, and a wall that feels like it might never end. The other picture is standing in a room of highly intelligent, fresh graduates from Harvard University in the US while working on the next Coca-Cola 360 activation plan in public affairs and communication. These two scenarios are just a few years apart for yet. I'm very excited to have Iyad on my mic for episode 39 of the Chapters of My Life podcast. He is the startup map program manager of Gaza Sky Geeks, the first and only startup accelerator in Gaza. I met Ehud back in 2018, where I was impressed by the determination and passion for his Gaza Sky Geeks teams, which he mentored and coached. His life book called Trying Experiments is all about his journey overcoming impossible situations such as war and how to self-reflect and create opportunities throughout his living abroad in the US and Germany. Throughout the three chapters which we discuss, we explored his ambitions to foster the Palestine entrepreneurship scene and how to create a ripple effect through coaching and mentoring. In other words, his passion for seeing obstacles as opportunities and how to support a community around him. Also, just a heads up, you will notice halfway in the conversation we faced a very typical problem in Gaza Strip, such as a power cut. Even so, we continued shortly after. It's another reminder that no matter what obstacles are there, the solution to overcome starts with a positive mindset. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Iyad. Here we go. Just never forget, never give up, always look up. So, thank you so much, Iyad, for taking the time for this podcast. Really looking forward to the call. Um, where are you currently located? Uh, I'm currently based out of Gaza, Palestine. Okay, so the reason being why I'm asking this is because one of the um, 
kind of you know issues we just faced was just before the recording is that you had a power uh, shortcut so literally you know power outreach so basically everything went off you had no power and you had to do that frequently i mean obviously it's it's probably one thing which it's almost a daily to do for you right yeah absolutely it's actually uh two to four times a day that i have to like that we have uh, power outages and then I have to reconnect, you know, a power generator or like a UPS or of some sort. Uh, we're quite lucky these years because in the in the past we didn't have these options. But like after you know close to 15 years of having power outages, you you adapt and you develop solutions around them. Yeah, I mean, what you just said about that developing solutions about it, that's definitely something I want to uh, talk with you uh, throughout that conversation. Also a little bit about your work. I mentioned that in the intro, um, your background, where you're working at the moment. I mean, we know each other for a couple of years uh, since our work together, a couple of years ago when I was based in the UAE. When we worked together with other startups, that was the very first touch point. And I remember from the very beginning when we worked together and also supported the startups for the scaling process, that you had a unique passion, a really unique passion to support individuals and uh, young founders to really support also your country in a way to help the individuals, young people, young entrepreneurs, so they can find perhaps, you know, building a how to build a business for building a startup. So I found your energy very inspiring. And that's the reason why I wanted to reach out to you and to really record this session as well, to understand what is actually, you know, the story from you and your life story and what can others learn from your life chapters. So yeah, first question I have to you directly, you mentioned in the beginning before, the, before we started the podcast that you have never been on a podcast before. But my question is to you, are you listening to podcasts? Um, am I listening to podcasts? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started listening to podcasts like uh, three or four years ago, uh, actually about the time that I started working at Gaza Sky Geeks. Um, mainly, I think my very first podcast that I listened to was from Gimlet Media, a podcast on startups called Startup. A really, really interesting one. Uh, taught me a lot. But then I evolved into listening to podcasts, about, uh, you know, like the universe, podcast about, um, you know, leadership, um, about management, about even like blockchain. I use podcast, like I listen to podcasts around everything uh, when I want to learn. I really like to, to hear stuff, to learn more about them. Mm -hmm. And what does fascinate you on these topics which you just mentioned? Like you mentioned leadership, management, blockchain, uh, startup, ecosystem, entrepreneurship. What does fascinate you? In this topic. I, think, I think as a young professional, um, you continue to grow into positions and be put into places where you, you have to continue to work, you know, like you have to work in your skills, you have to up them and so forth. And um, I think what, what, what drove me to keep learning is a sentence I read in a, in a book called Good to Great that talks about like level six leadership. And one of the CEOs in the book that they're, t they, they're telling his story, he says, what made me a great leader is I never stopped trying to be qualified for the job. Um, and so I, I look at myself and everything I do that like, how can I become qualified for the thing that I do and how can I continue to do that? So 
I find in podcasts that people are sharing their stories and like how they evolved the reflections. And that's what I really capture in podcasts. And I feel like very enthusiastic about because unlike, you know, other sources of learning, uh, people are become like very authentic. You could associate with them and you could learn from their own experiences. So that, that that's fascinating uh, to mm. me. So the, the authenticity part is something which triggers you. I mean, in a world where everything is kind of artificial, everything is like, you know, fast paced and everyone is kind of using technology just to use, uh, to find a solution for a quick problem. Uh, authenticity is super important, especially when it comes to the social media world. Um, in the research about you in the last, uh, in the past, uh, I came across a picture of you on Instagram uh, from, maybe you remember that from 2019, uh, it was taken from in Jordan, in, um, I might pronounce it wrong, Madaba, Madaba, yeah. Madaba. And I could see you in this picture, literally like around, I mean, there are books around you, seems like you're in the middle of a library um or at home um and where was this place yeah this, this was basically half library half coffee shop in madaba in jordan uh -huh. uh, you know like a very very historical place uh we pumped into that place by chance i was uh, on a business trip uh with a few startups from gaza uh going and meeting investors in jordan and uh, we decided to take a detour and go to madaba and like spend the day in there um, I had like some Jordanian friends with, with me as well. Uh, and we just like went there to drink some coffee and I went inside and I saw all these old books, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and these two nice ladies who serve us like uh, lunch. Um, and basically you could read a book and you could eat and you could have coffee and you could play bing bong. And I really, um, I try to go there every time I visit Jordan. It's, it's a really nice uh, spot. Um, Yes. And it shows my association with, with books I like to read. And, uh, um, uh, well, one thing that I do not like about being busy is that I have less time to read uh, nowadays. Mm. Okay. So literally, it prevents you of gaining knowledge. Um, the busyness prevents you of gaining knowledge through the reading. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned that, that picture because I saw that picture and I, I found it very fascinating because you right in the center surrounded with all the wisdom the books and stories and also in a very historical place so i found it very interesting but i also thought immediately when i saw this picture is if you would be in that in that place now um and you would look for let's say your autobiography um where would you look for in that place or maybe Sim similar to that place in a library, where would you look for, in which category, um, section would you look for your autobiography? That's a very interesting question. Um, well, I think, you know, I'd look into, you know, like the, the stories section. Um, I feel like um, my whole life is shaping into my own story. Uh, like one day, you know, like, for some people, it might be interesting to read about it. So I think like it's going to be in the stories and not not really a comic, but more of a, you know, um, 
you know, like stories from Palestine, if I might say, you know, mm-hmm. all stories from places nobody really thinks much about. Mm. I mean, when you say no one really thinks much about, I mean, probably many, many also don't know much about it. Yeah. To Absolutely. share, to share insights, wisdom, know-how, life experience from that region, obviously. Because that's, you know, not everyone is aware of what's going on there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, interesting. So it would be in the story section. And um, when when I see you right now in the story section um, and seeing that you, your book literally in front of me, your autobiography book, and you, you, know, you mentioned about the authenticity part in the beginning and also a little bit more of the storytelling part, what do you want the reader in that library to see when that reader have it has the book in front of his face her face what should he or she see on the cover yeah no i think on the cover page you mean Mm -hmm. yes yeah Yeah. um i don't know i think the name of the book uh i think it's look inside they probably like i would like that to start with you know the context you know like like as every great story that like you don't start with like hey this is this guy and he does xyz but like more of like the like how they grew up you know like what type of uh like for example something that always comes to my mind is uh at one day uh, where i used to live in my family house when i say family house like you know like all like my father and my mom but also my uncles and their wives and their kids. So like a four story building, everyone has like an apartment in it, but we have the roof where we as kids hang out. And I think that's where it starts, you know, like at one day hanging on the roof, you know, like playing with my my cousins and basically, you know, like looking down from the roof and like thinking what would happen if I jump and like not suicidal kind of thing, but mm. never, there's, like, there's a lot of sand in there and I wanted to play. And I'm just like wondering with my cousins, like what would happen if I jump and, uh, and then come back and do it again. And I actually wanted, I stepped on the edge of that and I wanted to jump and because I just, I just wanted to play, right? And I was like four or five years old. Yes, yes, yes. And I said like, if I jump, then everyone's going to jump and then we're going to have some fun. Uh, yeah. And then my oldest cousin she was like i think eight or nine she grabbed me before i did it right like i wanted to try it out and uh i always reflect on like these situations or like this specific situation as like what would have my life looked like like if i did the jump right um if i lived (laughs) of course uh, life can change within a second you know if you would have done that yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah. Um, so when I see that cover, would you say I would see on that cover literally that that view from you looking down to the sand, or is it more kind of the on the cover kind of the house with the different floors that you explained? What would I see on the cover? Yeah, I think right. you'd see me looking down, you know, to the sand. I'm just about to make the jump when everyone is like looking, you know, and they're scared, but like they also want me to do it you know, like little kids. Um, I don't know if they could capture that in, in the image, but that's what I, 
I, I, I remember their faces, you know, like they don't want me to do it, but they want me to do it, you know, because we want to play. Okay. Um, that one would be on, on that cover, I guess. Just for the record, that was that from the first floor uh, you experienced? Or oh, no, that was from the fourth floor. Fourth floor. Wow. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, obviously, there's a difference, you know, jumping down on the fourth floor to sand versus yeah. water or something. Uh, yeah. But sand, obviously. Um, yeah, things could have to be completely different, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't know as a kid, obviously, you know, you're trying to do things which you've been pushed from other kids. And then from one second to another, your life is changed. Yeah. Um, so when I see in this cover, this kind of look down that few looking down maybe from that point of your perspective um what would i see as a title of your book hmm. i think well i think you know like the title would be It can be changed over time. I mean, we, right yeah. now, you know, just, you know, uh, we, while we talk, we can also come up with that. But I was just thinking because I had this view down, looking down right now and you immediately picture in my head and I thought like, okay, what could be that title maybe to that picture or maybe to your life, life book? I think it's something related to, you know, trying things, you know, experimenting and experiencing things. Not sure exactly what would be a good title for that, but that's, I think in that moment, I was just like thinking what would happen, you know, how much fun would I have, mm. you know, I don't know what's going to happen, so I'm going to try it, you know, um, like risk taking kind mm. of thing. Yeah. So kind of related to entrepreneurship, trying, risk taking, don't know what to, will happen, but it's worth to give it a go. Uh, give it all in, etc. I mean, it could be like related to that kind of the keywords all around entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. Okay, so when I see this book and I'm opening this book, you know, in, in every kind of book is this kind of thank you page in the beginning where you dedicate your life book or the book you're writing towards someone. Who would you, if you write your autobiography book, who would you dedicate your book towards? Um. Like first one would be my father. Um, he's been great at allowing me to make my own decisions and letting me like experiment and make mistakes, but also always being there for when I needed to consult him. Uh, I, did, I did grow to appreciate that. I haven't always appreciated that. So I, as I grow older, I, I, I develop more and more appreciation and admiration to him. So to do to my father. So he gives you that space to experiment, as you just said. But at the same time, also like the point of contact for giving you the opportunity to, if you have questions, need support, yeah. et cetera. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's kind of a, yeah, a very supportive kind of uh, environment. We have, the, as you said before, like that experiment space beforehand that's interesting um it's also kind of i'm just relating it right now it's also a little bit related to entrepreneurship again it seems like i can see a kind of a pattern you know you're like you're giving you space to to play yeah. and to take 
experiment, but at the same time to be uh, there's someone here to for support. Um, when I now see that book and the table of content um, with different chapters, and I see that very first chapter, what do you want the reader to learn about you in chapter one? I think, I think like the first thing would be also about like me growing up and starting to make, to draw a path for myself. Um, I grew, I grew up in a, in a, you know, like a middle income family, you know, like my father got his salary and he would just like, like we would use it for food, transportation, but that's it, no savings and whatsoever. Um, you're a happy family, very connected, um, but I always wanted to try new things. For example, I always wanted to travel, uh, but I couldn't, well, I couldn't for many reasons, you know, like somewhat obvious, like, you know, we're not, like, it's very hard to leave Gaza and, and travel due to borders, restrictions, and so forth. But then others due to, you know, like financial situation, um, mm -hmm. Now, like when you make money in a third world country, like even if it's enough for food and so forth, like if you, you can't use that money to travel because it's going to be super expensive. And um, when I talked to my father and I said, like, I want to travel, I want to try new things. And I, I think I was like on my eighth grade or ninth grade uh, when I started thinking about that. And what he said is like, it's expensive. We, we like he'd love to do it, but we couldn't. Mm. And then I decided, well, I'm going to travel and I'm not going to pay anything. Like, I'm going to find ways where I could travel, but like not have to pay for it, which was a crazy idea back then, because you know, I started telling my friends about that, you know, like a lot of the stuff that I was doing back then, I was doing with that specific purpose in mind. Um, so, for example, like volunteering for NGOs. Um, uh, apparently, I wanted to do good. But also I built, I wanted to build skills. I wanted mm. to connect with internationals. I wanted to, to seek opportunities for travel and so forth. And, um, and every time I told my friends I'm doing that because I, you know, like I, wanna, I wanna be able to travel and like someone cover my expenses, they laughed at me. Mm. And, uh, and they laughed because it wasn't something that we heard of before. It wasn't yes. something that was common. Um, but interesting enough, you know, until now, most of my travel has been paid for conferences or, you know, like work stuff, et cetera. Mm. Um, I could think of one or two times after the 40 times I traveled where I actually paid for it, you know. Mm. Um, At that time when you had this thought, let's say, um, I want, I'm going to go traveling anyway, you know, regardless of the circumstances and ideally, you know, for free. What gave you the confidence that you can, that you could make it? I think I, I did not have the confidence. I thought, I felt like there are two options. One is I try nothing and I know where that's going to lead. Of course, mm -hmm. to nothing. The other is like, I'm going to experiment with a bunch of different things. First of all, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, like look for scholarships online I'm going to be looking for conferences to attend. I'm going to be volunteering with uh, NGOs. 
Um, I don't know, like I, I'm going to also work in the summer and save some time. So I, I looked into so many things and I had the time because I only had to study back then. Yeah. I had the, the time to experiment with all of these. And I, back then, my motto in life was that what doesn't teach you doesn't hurt you. So at least you get something out of it. You know, like, let's mm -hmm. not hurt you. Like, if you try all these stuff, what do you have to lose? So I was, I was always, like, uh, looking to try to, to, to do new stuff. Um, and it didn't pay out, like, immediately. It didn't pay out, like, the next six months or the next year or, like, two years. It actually paid out, like, maybe five or six years after yes. I tried all of these stuff. And then I couldn't believe it, right? Um, actually, when I, the first time I was going to travel, uh, my father was sick. And he needed to get some um, some um, health um, surgery um, in Egypt. So he said, like, now you get to travel. You get to go with me and take care of me in Egypt. And I said, yay, right? Like, I, I was super excited about it back then. And, uh, you know, like, we went, we booked our tickets. And we basically, you know, uh, I made a new passport, or actually my first passport. And then... We were scheduled to travel like the next month, and then we traveled that day on the way to the border. Like, I'm gonna explain how this works. So, you take a bus from the Palestinian side to the Egyptian side, mm -hmm. and that bus should be like a five minutes drive where you get to the Palestinian side to the Egyptian side. We were on that bus for about 14 hours, my father and I, and like 70 or 80 more people who wanted to travel. Uh, we're just waiting in the bus, sitting inside. We weren't allowed to go outside or, you know, like uh, go to the bathroom or whatever, right? And then after 14 hours, we got to the Egyptian side, you know, of the borders. And uh, we waited there for like another, I think, four or five hours after we gave our passport to the, the travel, you know, officer. Mm. And then after four hours, he came back and he said, um, he called our names and there's basically there's the window where they call your name and if they call your name from the window you know you're granted permission to travel but there's a corner where people go where that officer would go to that corner holding a bunch of passports and then he would call names of people who are not allowed to travel so everyone in that like and in, in, on the Palestinian side on the Egyptian side they're like everyone who's traveling they're looking both at the window, but also they're looking at the corner. And then when he has a bunch of pa passports, we run to him to find out if he called our names, hoping that he doesn't. And then that day, he actually did call our name, uh, our names, and he sent us back, my father and I, and we weren't able to, 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 to travel back then. We were very frustrated, of course, because my father was sick, um, but then... I also was, and to be honest, I was more frustrated that I wasn't able to to travel, you know, mm -hmm. and new things and see new people and interact with them. Uh, so I went back home. I was very frustrated. I slept the entire day and the following day, the third day, my phone rang um, and it was someone from Spain. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, yeah, are you interested in coming to Spain this summer? You know? Okay. Yeah. And 
um, it was a surprise for me because like they wanted someone, well, they wanted to take a group of kids to, to Spain. Uh, and that was after the 2010, 2010 war on Gaza or 2008, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Um, and they wanted someone who could speak English. They wanted someone who's close to the kid's age uh, who would take them. And I said, yes, definitely. And that was the first time I actually got to travel. And I, I, I said to myself back then, if I, had if I had gone to Egypt, I wouldn't have had that call and I wouldn't have been to Spain. So actually not being allowed to go to Egypt was good for me. My father was allowed to go to Egypt after that. And then he did the surgery and everything. Mm, just wanted to ask you, yes. Yeah. It was when-when. At that point. So what does that teach you, this kind of, I mean, initially you were very disappointed. You thought you not were able to go to Egypt, but at the same time, something better came out as a result. What does it teach you? What did, what was the lesson from, for you? I think, I think like reward is gonna come anyway, but like it, it comes in different ways. Um, so sometimes you hate something or you hate that you weren't able to do something when it's actually good for you. So what that taught me is it wasn't meant to be because I've, other things were meant to be. And I, since then, like that was the, the first, let's say, big incident in my life. And after that, I was like, I became much more receptive to anything that happens in my life. I can tell you, like nowadays, yeah. there are a few things happening in my life that I, I wouldn't be very receptive to them, but I'm actually very, very receptive to them because because of that incident and many more that taught me, mm -hmm. you know, like life has other plans. Maybe they're better than my own plans at some point. So having that positive outlook and the uh, attitude, you know, that even things are not according to plan. Maybe God has a different, better plan, or there's something better for you, you know, planned. Um, interesting. You know, in a, um, I came across something online, which I found very interesting. And I kind of could hear you kind of entrepreneurial kind of um, assessment, <laughs> communication in there. You, you, I saw online that you said, when I was a kid, I wanted to speak six, six languages. Now I only speak free. This is 50% fail rate, but I haven't given up on the other three yet. So, you know, the fact, obviously there are two things in this sentence, six languages. First of all, as a kid, you know, this is pretty impressive if you wanted to do this. And second, the 50% fail rate. You know, I could hear your entrepreneurial kind of assessment language. So what languages you wanted to speak um, as a kid? Which are these six languages? Yeah, so I, I wanted to speak you know, English, French, Spanish, German, Chinese, and Hebrew. Uh -huh. um, Besides the Arabic, of course, so I haven't counted that in. That would be seven. I mean, technically, it would have been seven then. Yeah, I, I yeah. think I meant six more languages, but six yeah. More. <laughs> um, and I think I managed, well, like I was very fascinated by languages, not, well, As a kid, I was fascinated by that because like it allowed me to connect to people. Um, uh -huh. it al and, and well, well, as a kid, I, I used, you know, I used English with some of my friends who, who spoke English so that like other friends wouldn't know what we talk about, you know, like a mm -hmm. secret language sort of stuff. Uh -huh. But then over time, you know, like I, 
I learned like how many opportunities languages open for people in terms of you know like connections, relationships, and you know like um, understanding of the others uh, as well. You know, uh, so I learned English at a very young age. I started speaking English when I was uh, like eight or nine, and I learned from TV. I was watching so much TV back then, so I learned English uh, that way. I started learning French uh, when I was in high school. Um, I became really good at it, uh, but haven't been able to practice. You know, not many French people come to Palestine, um, but did some practice online. So if I go to Paris or France, I get by. Mm -hmm. And I learned German, of course, by living in Germany for some time. Um, so that's English, French, German. Um, well, my French is comme ci, comme ça, so it's not that good. Yeah, but I wasn't able, I, wasn't able to ha I, I didn't have the time to learn the others, so I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated by that to some extent. You said that you were very interested, obviously, in learning these languages, and it's very impressive that you're obviously, you know, including a lot of languages which are kind of difficult as well. I mean, Chinese, for example, or other languages are completely different from each other. Um, from, from the languages you currently speak, what would you say um, you... Yeah, in order, let me rephrase that question. The, the languages you currently speak, what did they enable you to do? That I could speak? Yeah, that you could speak. Now, the other uh, three languages. What were you able to do with this? Yeah, first languages? of all, like, they allowed me to connect really well, you know, uh -huh. whether like with people, you know, whether in school, whether when I traveled and talked to people, um, that's one. Two, they allowed me many more job opportunities. Um, some of these jobs require that you have a, you, know, you speak specific languages, but others don't. They allowed me to get my scholarships to study abroad as well uh, for my masters. Um, but, but most of all, they allowed me to do my own research. Um, a lot of the time we're influenced by what people tell us uh, or by one side of the story. I've always been thinking about like, what would the other side think? And usually you wouldn't be able, be able to read or see or understand that if you don't speak the languages. Uh, you would mm -hmm. be able to, understand, to see what people think they say, but you wouldn't be able to communicate, chat, and you know, like interpret what and what behind, what's behind the words. Uh, so um, I really appreciated that um, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and often, I mean, you, you touch upon a very good area. It's like, you know, it's every language. Often we, we, we express the same, uh, but we perhaps interpret it differently. And language is a great way to, to step into the different culture uh, um, habits and so on. I think this is a very important aspect. Together, when you're learning language, you know, you're learning more about the culture as well, mentality. Um, and so on. So that's interesting. So when, when I look back into your childhood, um, Iyad, um, how would your friends describe you? As a My child? friends. Yeah, your friends, close friends from childhood. How would they, just now, you know, looking back, how would they describe you? I think, I think they'd say I'm very empathetic. Um, you know, and consider it their, their feelings. Um, as a child, I, I grew up to be, you know, quite competitive, 
but also very empathetic. Um, what did it look like, that empathetic? Do you remember like a specific occasion, event, moments where you said that is, that was so typical me, being empathetic? Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of cases, I haven't judged people or kids at school. I've always tried to be friends with the ones that do not have many friends. You know, I was a very popular kid at school. I had like so many friends, I still do. And I was like very, very lucky to have them. But like, I've, I'm very happy I was able to bring so many excluded kids to the group and that like, that like, that they were able to, you know, like to, to have support group to be, to belong to. And um, now like school could be really hard to belong in and like to fit in with others. And, and um, there are like many different standards, even here, like, like the way you would think of it in Germany or in the US, like that still exists here. Um, so I was like, I always, I feel like my life, like I, I wouldn't judge people. I would just like see the potential of people. And I always loved that. You know, I love to contribute and help. And it made me feel good also about myself and about the society. Mm. Um, that these are examples of people I brought into the group. They, they were able to fit in. Some weren't able to fit in, but I still, I, I was still their friend, you know, that they mm. could come to and talk to. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that you, you, since childhood, you're not judging people, actually, you're trying to support them. So literally, rather than having that pre-justice kind of, you know, wall in front of you, already having opinions, rather having this, you're more including others, um, excluded kids as well. Um, where do you think this comes from? I think mainly, so I have a younger brother. I have like a three sisters and two brothers. My younger brother is like three years younger than me. I'm the oldest. And every, like, I feel like every time I saw, I saw someone in a bad situation, a kid in a bad situation, I'll just like think that this is my younger brother. You know, like, I, how would I let that happen? You know, like, how can I support them? I would have wanted others to do the same if it was my brother so and I still do want it today you know like when even when I'm upset with someone at work or like it like in my personal relationships I think well she she could have been my sister you know like how would I want her to be treated or like he would have been my brother like what would I want the other person to react to them like and so forth and that has taught me you know like how how much I love my brothers and sisters, but also, you know, like it helped me understand people and, and connect with them much easier. Mm, I mean, the connection that you describe goes towards putting yourself in the shoes of others. How would you react in that situation rather than, you know, always judging from your own point of view? That's interesting. So, um, you know, when we're talking about chapter one now, um, knowing that you were a very empathetic child, you uh want to travel um you know having that experience that actually that incident at the border to egypt didn't work out but then later on you had the opportunity to go to spain um in this chapter one what time frame are we talking about from from till what uh, age 
Uh, can, can you repeat that? that in chapter one, in chapter one, you know, when we talk about chapter one in your book and you're talking about your childhood, for example, till what age is that chapter one? I think chapter one goes from like six years old until let's say end of my high school, you know, like 17 or 18. Okay. Um, that has been really what shaped my life. A lot has happened then. Uh, I don't know, like if that, like if a, lo a lot of the things that happened with me, I don't think would happen to one person. Uh, I've had so many experiences um, that actually shaped my today mm. um one of them for example you know i drowned when i was 14 i stayed in like i, I drowned for two hours in the sea uh, it was winter as well and that that experience has also changed my life you know i before until i was 14 i thought i was like king of the world you know like mm. everyone on this universe was made to serve me to some extent i'm good And I deserve to be treated well. And, you know, like, and my, I have so many friends. My family loves me. I like, I could do a lot of stuff. Um, so I was very happy with my life. And I thought, like, well, I'm the number one in this universe. When I drowned, um, I didn't think that would happen to me. You know, I, so I heard about that happening to other people, but not to me. And, uh, and I, I, I stayed inside like for two hours. I couldn't swim. Uh, so I was drowning basically for two hours. By the But time I got conscious, up, you were conscious in that moment. I was conscious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for most of the time. Yeah. yeah. Because I was like, I would, I would go dive deep in and then hit the ground and then get outside and breathe and then go back in and the same for like about two hours until some guy came in and, and, and rescued me. Um, a very close friend of mine now. And um, by the time I get out, like my perspective of life, like bad things could happen to me, you know? How can I absorb that? Like, what do I learn about it? Um, and I feel I became more empathetic to my father and my mother and like my closest friends, you know? Mm. Much more empathetic to them uh, and receptive to their feelings. And, um, and um, so like from, six to 17 or 18 like that's probably chapter one with a lot of hmm. yeah i mean when you're saying there were a lot of incidents as well similar to what you just said with the drowning i mean these are obviously turning points you know in your life which made you think quite a lot what could have happened um uh, also that example with an uh, egypt for example years before i mean many perhaps in this this age they might just see that as okay that was kind of an accident that was kind of okay it's supposed to happen but i think it seems like and correct me if i'm wrong it seems like that you're always taking out a lesson from it you're always uh, seeing a deeper um reason behind why it happened um and the positive yeah. outcome actually Yeah. yeah, because because most of these were shocking to me, right? Mm. Like everything that is kind of like shocking to me is my biggest learning, to some extent, you know? They say like, when you succeed, it's easy, you celebrate it. When you fail, you know, like you, you sit down and you reflect and you ask yourself a hundred times why. And then these were like big shocks. Um, nothing, I, I, I tend to believe I'm a very, very lucky man 
like not just on the Palestinian standards, but like also on the international standards. But I also believe that nothing has come easy to me. You know, if I had, when every time I needed to travel, I had to go, you know, like talk to 10 different people, get 10 different permits, you know, like struggle for months and you know, just to get on a plane. You know, mm. if I'm at an airport, I'm probably going to be checked a couple of times, you know, even if I get to the airport and, and so forth. Um, if I, when I apply to scholarships, I need to apply for like, a, I applied maybe to 80 or 90 scholarships because before I got mine, you know, and, mm. and um, but the, the hard stuff makes you, you know, like sit down and reflect, what did I do wrong? What did I do right? Like, what, how can I change the outcome next time? Yeah. Now that, that, that is what has helped me. That, that example which you mentioned about the airport, for example, or scholarship application. I mean, uh, it sounds to me that you became or you learned uh, to be patient. Um, yeah. Definitely. I just like the, the, the custom officers would just like pull me in and I, they'll see a smile on my face, like a very big smile on my face. You know, it's basically you build that, you know, like resilience. Mm -hmm. And that, like, you're expecting it, you know, like, it's not a big deal. You know, they're doing their job. Like, it's not, it's not a personal matter, you know. It's like the world we live in. And then the more you absorb that and understand that, the less frustrated you are with it. Of course, you're frustrated with the whole system mm -hmm. that happens. But you do know that this is not very personal matter between you and the custom officer. So, like, you show him a smile on the face and because he deserves it. Mm. It's, but it's also something I mean you're just saying this with a smile I mean it's not like a fake smile it's also it seems like you know when you say resilience I mean it's also something which protects you but at the same time you've seen that situation as it is rather than you know forcing to change it um, you, with that patient element that kind of understanding okay it's expected uh, let's go for it and then everything will be better in, in that or, you know, just go for it. Um, it teaches you, I guess, also some other like transferable life skills as well. I mean, you can transfer this kind of learnings in other fields as well in life. Do you think that this kind of um, experiences in general in your childhood, let's say, or let's say example with the airports or scholarship or all the hurdles in general when you apply for something, do you see that this, where uh, you could gain transferable um, soft skills from it for other parts yeah. of life? Yeah, no, absolutely. I haven't always been this way. Uh, I used to be frustrated at stuff, you know, and like when, when things are not going as planned or as should, I just like be very frustrated, you know, or if something bad happens in the world, you know, like if there's fire in, <clears throat> if there's fire in California, I'll be just so upset, you know, like you wouldn't know why. <clears throat> Okay. Why aren't there, like, why are people dying? You know, like, why is when there's, like, um, on National Geographic, like, something about, like, you know, extinct animals, I, I get upset. And then I learned over time that, like, I, I learned, well, if you, you ask me, like, what my friends describe me as a kid, but, like, what my friends describe me as an adult now is that I'm very pragmatic. Mm -hmm. So I, I came to that, well, what I chose to do is like, there are two types of things, you know, like there are things that I can control and things that I can't. 
And the things that I can't control shouldn't get in un under my nerves. I shouldn't mm -hmm. be emotional about these. I should be very pragmatic about these. Now, of course I can't change. Like when I'm at the airport, I can't change when a custom officer comes to me and pulls me aside and wants to, to check me because I'm at the airport, I'm now traveling. But if I would have been in another context, you know, where I'm like a policy, um, working in policies and, 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 and basically could make an impact, I definitely want to do that. You know, I want people to have fair, well, part of the reason I came back to Palestine, to Gaza specifically, is because I, I wanted to help people get a fairer life, you know, I, or like to put it in better terms, I wanted people to get what I got, you know. To give back literally um, the experience of the, the access to network, yeah, I education, etc. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to be, um, you know, like, well, giving back is part of it, but like, I really, like my, you know, I was in Germany, I studied, I finished my MBA in Germany and I was working at, at a great job. I loved the company and, and everything. And I was, I've decided that I'm going to stay there, you know? Mm. Um, and I had the options to go back to the, to go work in the US, stay in Germany, go to Dubai, etc. And I, I was deciding between these three options. So I was in a very, very good place where I could choose where I want to live where I want to work and I had a bunch of job offers on the table and I was like living the dream as they say. Um, and at one point, you know, I got this phone call from Gaza Sky Geeks and they said like, do you want to come and work here in Gaza? And my whole world changed. And I said immediately, yes. I couldn't decide between the companies that I wanted to go work in. Mm. That was my biggest problem. I couldn't decide which one to accept, which job offer to accept. And I was like very privileged back then. Um, and of course, it was hard to apply for all of them and go to the mm. interview. And so it wasn't easy. But I had the offers, you know, the three offers on the table. And then when I got the phone call and they said, like, they want to come work here, mm. I immediately let yes. And, and I, the reason I said yes is, well, part of it is I wanted to give back. But like the mm. main thing is, I felt like I got so much of life. And people in Palestine, they don't they did not have the same opportunities that I have. They did not have the same support system or support people that I had. Can I be that support system? Can I go back and create opportunities such as the ones delivered to me so that people could travel, they could go work outside, they could have a decent living, they could make, they could choose, you know, not yes. be, life wouldn't inflict on them what it wants. Mm, but you touch point um, or you say the, the right word opportunity you want to give others opportunities so they can choose uh, what they want to do literally um, or have more freedom to choose i think this is a very powerful way to ex explain it as well um, and also what i'm hearing out is i mean <laughs> many life-changing moments starting with a phone call the call from Spain, the call from... <laughs> so you always have to be, have your phone next to you. And then obviously you have to be connected. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And don't underestimate that the phone call. Like I'm saying <laughs> that to anyone who hears this, because all of these phone calls are really good and they changed my life. But one phone call that actually changed my entire perception of life was <clears throat> in 2014. Mm -hmm. I had a full-time job um, at a bank in Palestine. 
I was very happy with my work. My boss loved me. I loved the, the team. We're very happy, you know. And then the war happened, the 51 days war. And it was like the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Sorry. <clears throat> it was like the, the worst thing that happened in my life. Mm-hmm. And a few stuff. Sorry, give me a minute. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> Yeah, and, a, and a, a few stuff happened during that war on the family level. I've lost people and I had to stay on the phone with a family that was being massacred, you know, lying to them about an ambulance coming to take them until they all died. I've had like a, a bunch of different experiences that basically made me lose hope in humanity. You know, like I was there and I was saying, well, everyone is dying. No one gives a damn about what's going on. And we're dying. People are dying. It's like, there's no tomorrow, etc. And like, I was very frustrated. And I was like at the verge of losing hope, you know? Mm-hmm. And then that exact moment, I'm just like thinking about that. No electricity, you know? I've got like 10% charge in my phone, you know? We haven't seen the light in, in days. We don't have food. I had like about 55 people in my home that evacuated their homes. No sanitation, no water, no food, nothing. And I was very frustrated. So I get a phone call at that exact moment. And um, it was a very close friend from the US mm-hmm. who I met once but then became a very close friend. He called and I said, like, I heard about what's going on in the news. Are you okay? And I got your number and so forth. And I said, yes. And we talked a little bit and he said, like, we think about you. A lot of people in my family saying hi, so forth. And then he said, if you ever think about coming to the US and working there, let me know, right? And then that's it. I hang up a couple hours later, a friend from Morocco calls me. And she says, like, I heard about, like, what's going on in, in Gaza. I was like, I, I, I don't know what to do. I want to make sure that you're... And I got, like, three phone calls that day mm-hmm. that restored my faith in humanity and that, res- that basically took me from going into a very dark place. Mm-hmm. And I asked myself when I was... When I got that phone call from Gaza Sky Geeks to come and work for them in Gaza... I asked myself, like, how many people were in that exact moment losing hope and losing faith in people who did not get any of these phone calls that I got? Mm -hmm. And what if a lot of them got these phone calls, you know? And that immediately, that's that's what made me come back to Gaza, but that that also keeps me in here, in Gaza, Mm -hmm. regardless of, like, the the opportunities I, I could have abroad. And I love that. I think that, yeah. that makes it all for me. I mean, the, the situation, what you just described, I mean, it's for, for someone who never went for this. It's very hard to imagine. I came across online some kind of few paragraphs which you once wrote. I mean, you wrote once, like, um, last night was the heaviest bombing so far. There were six or seven large explosions very close by. The whole building moved up and down as if it might collapse. After each explosion, I went onto the roof to see how close it was and to see if we could help or 
had to get out. So, and then also another, you know, uh, paragraph I've, so online, I mean, imagine that 45 people, one house and the war that feels like it might never end. So it's, it's between hope, but also, as you say, devastation and lost faith in humanity and then in, in life in general. So it's kind of that battle. Um, and I guess this phone calls which you describe brought you back. But at the same time, as you say, like many are not have received that phone call. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to, that was, that was, you said 2014 during that, uh, the war. Yeah. Yeah. How, how old were you at that time? I was 24, 25. 24, 25. Yeah. Um, not to imagine, I mean, at that time, many, you know, children, young people, uh, older people, I mean, it's just very hard to imagine. Um, yet I want to, till we reach now 2014, I want to quickly understand a little bit more about the time from 18 till, let's say, you know, 2014, uh, what happened there and how it shaped your life. Um, yeah. When we're looking now, in that period after chapter one, after age 18, what has changed in your life in the, in the years after? Yeah, so in 2014, the war ended. I decided that I didn't want to die, right? Uh, yet. So I said like, well, my, well, if I had died back then, my life would have been, you know, like not interesting. Mm -hmm. I want to do, I want to do something with my life. So the day the war ended, the second morning, I woke up, I had my backpack and I went to the borders and I said, I want to travel. So I got my passport and stayed there for two days at the borders, waiting for an opportunity, talking to anyone who would help me travel until I managed to do it. Um, they called me from work, asked me why I wasn't at work. And I said, well, I quit. My father, of course, my father talked to me and he said, like, what do you want to do? And I said, like, well, I want to quit my work, my job, and I live abroad and go work abroad and study and travel and experience new stuff. Everyone in the family, beside like my father and my mom, thought I was crazy. Every one of my friends thought I was crazy because I was getting a good job. Like high, there's a very high unemployment rate in Palestine. If you get a job at a bank, then you're one of the good ones. You know, like you're, you're living well. And I was giving away that job to go to the unknown. Uh, but my father supported me and he said like, you can do whatever you want. You know, like I support you. Uh, so he made me much brave, much braver, much more courageous to take that decision. So I managed to travel. I went to Egypt. I didn't know back then what I'm going to do. Uh, so I spent 
um, I decided I want to study abroad and I want to work abroad. And I marked the US and Europe as the places I want to study and work. So I called that friend who called me and I said, like, if you ever want to come to the US and find a job, I called him and I said, like, hey, I'm looking for a job. I want to come to the US. And he said, okay, he sent me an internship application at the Coca-Cola company. And he said, they're looking for international, you know, like interns, you could apply. I applied, I studied for two months for the GMAT to, and applied for scholarships, uh, succeeded in the GMAT, at the same time, got an internship at the Coca-Cola company in the US in Atlanta at the HQ, spent three months in Egypt, give or take, and then flew to the US. And my new life started. Uh, mm -hmm. Started working, meeting people, learning a lot of stuff. Of course, it was challenging. You know, people, other interns were coming from Yale, Princeton, Harvard, Stanford. And I'm coming from like a very small university, humble education. Yeah. Uh, so I had to handle and navigate that. That was a great experience. Yeah, you mentioned uh, my new life started. So at that moment, literally, when you went abroad then uh, to US, would you say that this is the beginning of a new chapter? It is. Your book? It is. So, for sure, yes, it sounds like it is, for sure. Um, because it seems like, as you say, it's a new life chapter, it's a new life. Um, The, the years before, I mean, we had chapter one, just to reflect quickly, we had chapter one, which you said till 18. And then obviously from 18 till 24, 25, I think, you know, there's this other part, the other chapter. Yeah. Chapter two. And then obviously chapter three would then start the moment where you went abroad. Two yeah. years. So just to, before we dig deeper a little bit in chapter three now, when you go abroad, um, When we reflect in the chapter one, what you said, you know, you wanted to travel, you had this experience in childhood, empathy, empathy um, your resilience, being patient as well. How would you call that chapter one? From, from which you said from six to age 18. If you would give it a title. A I, would call it the I would call it the foundation. Mm -hmm. Foundation. Uh -huh. It built the foundation, it built some, some really concrete disciplines that still shape my life to some extent today. Mm -hmm. And what about that chapter two um, from 18 to 24, 25, um, that time period, how would you call that chapter? I would call it that, I would call the, that the, uh, the search chapter search yeah because in that like between 18 and like you know and let's say 24 years old i've done so many things just looking i didn't know what i wanted to do you know mm -hmm. i i knew a few so I, i knew that i wanted to go study abroad and live abroad but i didn't know if i wanted to leave my family i didn't know which major at school i wanted to study but had three or four that I prefer and I wanted to do and I couldn't choose between them. I let the life basically drive me to places and like others make decisions for me because I couldn't make these decisions. Uh, or like I just delegated these, this decision-making. It was easier for me to stop, you know, like running and looking. And, but at the same time, 
exploring. So I started learning French. You know, I applied for jobs, summer jobs and like full-time jobs and so forth. Um, I was asking myself, what are my skills? What can I do? You know, like, and I found nothing. Like I couldn't do anything. You know, like, am I an accountant? I can't do accounting. I can't program. I can't. Okay, then I'm business. Okay, but what does business do? So it's mm-hmm. the search. You know, and I feel like everyone gets into that stage, but like others navigate it better than than me. Probably they'll have mentors. You know. Great, great to have you back again. And um, I would say we just continue where we yeah. stopped. <laughs> so yeah, that like the power generator sometimes acts off. But it's, you know, I, I mean, obviously you, you, you got used to that uh, yeah. several times a day, you said three, four times. Um, and it's for others, like, you know, it's hard to imagine, like every time you just, you know, every hour, every two, three hours, you're going to do it like this again, there's no internet connection, but it's, it's something I think, which also teach you uh, of, sometimes you can be disconnected, but you always can reconnect again. And we just see that symbolically as well mm-hmm. in this way. Yeah. Um, we were just talking about yet about uh, chapter two in the search, which you mentioned, you know, when you were searching and you tried a lot of different things and then it, you were cut, kind of cut off from the connection. Um, that's that chapter two, which you wanted to call search. If that's all about, you know, uh, learning the different languages, you mentioned French, you learned that chapter, you experimented a lot, you tried a lot of different things, but you didn't know, as you said, like with what job you want to do in terms of, uh, I'm a banker, am I like, you know, what I'm good at. Um, did you find an answer in this chapter two of what you were more interested in? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, like, in that sense, I'm a very regular guy, you know? So I was searching for a lot of stuff, you know, like I said, what do I want to study? What do I even like, you know? Um, for example, if you go, if you want to write a resume and then they ask you at the end, it's like, what are your hobbies? And I was like, what are my hobbies? What do I want my hobbies to be, right? And then you start thinking about that. So I like reading, is reading a hobby? You know, but like, I like tennis, but I don't want it to be my hobby, you know, and this kind of stuff. So I, I went and explored, I went and I started horseback riding, you know, and I enjoyed it a lot. Like I spent years, you know, like jumping, riding horses, racing and jumping. And that used like, that was my biggest hobby. So I knew I, you know, I, I like to listen to music, but I learned like what type of music I like, you know, what type I don't like because I was searching, you know, I was deliberately trying to learn about myself. I looked into, do I like math? Well, I like math, right? But like, it's complicated, but I really like it. I enjoy it, but like it drives me crazy when I can't solve an issue. So I, that's why I call that the search. Mm. So I tried a lot of stuff and I've learned about myself quite a lot back then. Mm-hmm. And then chapter three starts, kind of your new life, as you say, the new chapter yeah. three. 
tell us about what what can I read in chapter three in your autobiography? Yeah, I think chapter three starts with me being in a different country, going to live there for an extended period of time. Unlike the times I traveled for a month or five weeks or four weeks, that's the time where I'm going to be on my own, you know, have to find a job and work, you know, have to make a new friends, choose the neighborhood to live in, you know. Um, and yeah, and like see if this life is for me. I'm finally doing what I was plan what I wanted to do since I was, you know, like on my fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. So so you reached it literally, as you said, like since the first grade, you reached yeah. it. So you were in the US, you said? Yeah. So I yeah. flew and I, I was in the US. Yeah. So chapter three starts with me looking for, you know, like housing in the US, then ending up with an Airbnb. So that I could see the apartment and live there yeah. for a period of time, and just like going to the office, and like chapter three starts like imagine this: I'm walking to the Coca-Cola company HQ in Atlanta. In Atlanta, yeah, it's a huge building. You know, the roof is so tall that like I haven't seen something like that, and you know, like. There are so many smart interns in the room and I'm looking at them like everyone is, is talking too fast English, so fast English, but like they seem so smart. Mm. And I'm sitting there and I'm like asking myself, okay, these are the Yale, like we, we introduce each other, right? Like these are the Yale graduates, the Harvard graduate, the Princeton. They have better, like you'll find, so we have, um, we think of Germans as you know, like workaholics, machines, etc. like, you know, very smart people. <clears throat> We think of uh, Chinese, for example, as like extremely geniuses, you know, like very smart. That's the, 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 the way we think of them. So I'm looking there and I'm like seeing Asians, you know, okay, these are so, so smart. What am I gonna do here? You know, Harvard graduates, like what the hell am I doing here? Yes. How can I, be present how can people see me that's like how chapter three starts but you don't credit yourself uh in the beginning already i mean you you, you compared yourself without doing the others uh, absolutely yourself down absolutely and it wasn't for a moment it wasn't for a day i would say it was for weeks <laughs> i walk into the room i know i have ideas but i just can't speak them because i'm not gonna sound smart enough What was smart enough? How what smart enough uh, sounds like? I think Daniel, like the way, so it's like we worked on teams to solve issues or like to work on projects. Yeah. People were moving way too fast for me to even pick up. So if I have an idea now and I want to present, they're probably in 0.5, not 0.1. Got it, yeah. So I was like, I'm just going to slow them down. So I'm going to listen. And it took me, it took me weeks, right? So I, then my boss then, or my supervisor, he said, he was like one of the guys who are rated 30 under 30 uh, in the US. Very smart guy, Sandy, was like great guy. And he noticed that. So he said, listen, I'm 30 under 30, yes. But like I did, I was able to do that, not because I'm smart, but because I worked hard. And mm -hmm. then he said something that his mentor told him, which is, 
I was like, you might not be the smartest person in the room, but like you can be the most hardworking, you know? And I was like, okay, interesting. So I, I started working on the projects, doing research, you know, learning more. When I work with a team, I find, I choose when I want to comment, when I don't want to. And I, I make, I deliberately make any contribution I make very valuable, you know? So I speak only when I have something very smart to say. And for the first week that worked out very well, but like the more that worked well, the more confidence I had in myself. By the time we finished phase one of the project and we went into phase two, I was leading the team of seven interns mm-hmm. working on the project. They said like, well, listen, we think you should be leading us. No. And I was like, I was very fast. And then my confidence was boosted, right? Yes. Um, I was very, it was a lot of fun like then. So I think that's like how chapter three starts. Like I doubted myself. I didn't, I didn't know what I, what I could do. You know, I downgraded myself as well. Um, but I decided to, to, I had support again, right? Mm. But I also decided that I wanted to, to step up my game. But you, at the same time, uh, you're listening also to the advice uh, from your mentors. I mean, when I'm hearing out what you're saying, it's like, You can, you might not be the smartest in the room, but the most hard work, uh, the person who works the most uh, or the hardest, it's, it's something you reflected on and you turned it into practice. It's not like, you know, just you agreed and then you kept going the same as usual. You listened and you adapted to it and you actually tried to find a way to fit in, in your own way, yeah. um, rather than just to you know, copycat, paste and copy. And then, because the, the reason why I'm asking this was earlier was like, um, what is, how does it sound uh, being smart is because often, you know, uh, in, in, in any age, but also in this age when fresh graduates, etc., they often talk smart, but they don't, there's no content in the talk, you know, there's nothing in there, nothing zero. So, but that sound intelligent. And that's often, you know, what in this, this age often is not being perceived as like, you know, it's not about what you talk, it's about how you being, how to turn it into action. Um, It might sound very intelligent and very smart, but when you don't turn it into action or you don't make an impact, whatever it is, you can keep talking smart, but it's, you know, no, no deliverable, no sustainable change happening afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you develop into realizing that, you know, like catching that on the fly. Yes. You, you develop the skill of like knowing when someone has context, yeah, yeah. when someone is not speaking, but he probably has a lot of good ideas and so forth. And it, it doesn't stop. Like, so I, I built that confidence in that situation with the team I'm working with at Coca-Cola. But then I had situations later on where I felt challenged again, where I felt uh demeanor you know like where i felt less than others you know um whether in school projects that i worked on uh whether in work contexts you know and i always felt you know like i always felt people are smarter than me you know like they have uh, 
they have much better context to start with. They went into better schools, they mm-hmm. have better education, they had better relationships, you know, like they belonged more than I did. And I had that like roaming around. And every time I worked with, with a group, I had that challenge, but then I changed it. I changed it. I read, uh, I don't know where I read that, but like, I was reading this book or article once and they said, when you want to work, look for people who are smarter than you because then at least you're growing at the same rate they are. You know, if you're not outgrowing them, you're at least growing at the same rate they're growing. Mm-hmm. So instead of finding challenge, you know, when I go and I work with a group of like really in Germany, for example, like really smart Germans, working on my team or working on the same team on a project, like they're very effective. When it, like I'm not very, I, I haven't, I didn't used to be very effective and cut to the chase kind of guy. <laughs> so when I worked with them, you know, I, I really learned a lot, you know? And because I, I started going into these challenging settings with that context, okay, what can I learn from these guys today? You know, they're different, I'm different. I have perspective to bring, but if I don't, I'm going to learn from them because they're smart. And then every time I work with someone, I say, well, I hope they're smarter than me. That's, that's, that's what I want them to be. That willingness to be surrounded with more smarter people, more intelligent people are kind of also stimulates you to, to always, I mean, one side challenge you but at the same time you you're growing and you're learning rather than stucking where you are in a comfortable zone and you're putting when you put yourself outside of the comfortable zone then obviously that's a growing aspect as well yeah interesting um so you just just touch based uh, your time in germany is that what happened after the u.s so after being in the u.s you went to the yeah germany? Yeah, fun story. Um, so I was with Coca-Cola in the U.S. I was doing my internship. And then it was towards the end of my internship. Uh-huh. Um, and I had two options. Either my internship gets renewed or like I apply for a full-time job at the company. You yes. know? And my boss there was like very supportive. Like we really liked working together and so forth. So we learned a lot. I learned a lot. And, but at the same time, I had a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Studying my master's. And lucky enough, the scholarship gets me, like I could choose where I want to study. I could choose Germany, I could choose France or the US, wherever I want to choose. And I was very spoiled back then that I said like, well, I've lived in the US for some time. I really want to try and live in Europe. Mm -hmm. And then, so I said, okay, best place to go and work, like really great economy, really great schools. It's either the Germany or the UK. And like the, the Germany won for me that I, I, I wanted to come to Germany. So I went to the European Business School, EBS, in Ustrich Winkel. And I said, okay, it's an opportunity to learn German as well. So that's amazing. Just start from scratch learning yeah. German there. Yeah. So I went to my boss who became my mentor. And I said, listen, I have, I could choose NYC. I could choose like to Southern New York University, NYU you know, or Cornell in New York or, you know, Emory School, or I could go to Europe and like do yeah. it. And I want to go to Europe. 
what do you think? And he said, like, like he walked me through the steps of how I'm thinking about this and why I want to do it, made me realize why I really wanted to do it. And then he said, uh, and then I said, okay, can you get me a job in Coca-Cola Europe in Germany? And all I needed to do is ask. And he said, I'll find out. And then the, like a week later, there was a conference and the team from Coca-Cola Germany came to the US and said like, hey, I wanted to introduce you to Iyad. He's gonna come to Germany and work and study there. Do you have a job for him? And then they said, well, what can you do? They did an interview and they said, okay, you could come and work with us. And I suddenly was in Germany. So what that taught me is that if you don't ask, you don't get. You know, even if it's embarrassing sometimes, I just asked and he made it happen, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I went to Germany. Yeah. Very entrepreneurship, sorry, to entrepreneurship kind of uh, mindset, you know, when you don't ask, you never yeah. know. Uh, inside, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, I think that's what happened. I went to Germany, I flew in, Lufthansa, got in Frankfurt. Now I need to learn how to use, you know, like that. Uh, uh, Divan, you know, like the the, the buses and, and the, uh, yeah, yeah, Divan yeah. Uban and Divan, yeah, yes, underground. Yeah, I had to learn all of these, and I, I knew nothing because the transportation system in the US is not is not like it's not good. You know, they don't have that thing. Mm. Uh, so I had to learn how to use it uh, and find my way to my apartment, which I booked online. Um, and from that, look, I started studying at university, working. Start, I, I wake up at 5 a.m., I go to work, you know, at, uh, like it's a two hour drive. It's a two hour by the bus, by the train. And then I get back to the school, I take my courses, and then I spend some time until 9 or 10 p.m. in the library. So every time 5 a.m. to 10 p.m., I'm out of home. Mm -hmm. um, working and learning learning and working you know sundays and saturdays i have fun sundays is where i sleep to recharge mm -hmm. for me that was the perfect life i enjoyed it because i felt like i'm improving day over day you know like and uh, and you grow as a person as well obviously it's a diff completely different environment but yeah i guess every day was an opportunity for you to learn something new about the culture, but about the language, but also about yourself. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, I, so, yeah. Yeah. I graduated top of my school. Basically, I was uh, ranked very high, like number one. And I was like very super proud because like I was working and studying at the same time. But I used it. Basically, I, it wasn't me. I used the time in the morning when I go into work and coming back from work to read and study. So I was very, that worked out quite well for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you were two years in Germany, right? Two yes. Years. And then you got that phone call from, from Gasa Sky Geeks. Yeah. To, to, to go back. And where you had this kind of, where you mentioned before, you had this kind of decision, should you go back or not? Yeah. So I, I studied, finished, well, Took me two years, but I stayed in Germany for like close to three years. Mm -hmm. uh, because then 
I quit Coca-Cola uh, in Germany and I went to work in a place called uh, Cemento Research. It's an AI research company. Um, so I moved from Frankfurt to um, not to Berlin, to Nuremberg to work there. Um, and then I traveled a, li a little bit in Europe, um, but I was stationed in Germany. And then I decided, okay, now is the time I'm going to look for a full-time job. It's enough. So I took my break. I'm going to start looking. So I looked for a job, um, interviewed for Eins und Eins, uh, got accepted, interviewed for Accenture, got accepted, interviewed for um, the, um, there's a, there's a company that does um, hotel booking, Trivago. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Trivago. Yeah. yeah, interviewed for a few more um, companies, got job offers and so forth. Some were like on my way. I was on my way to second interview at Bain & Company, Dubai. Um, and uh, Commerzbank, of course, they rejected me. Uh, okay. And uh, yeah. Uh, and then I had, and Coca-Cola, of course, Palestine. Yes. Um, and Europe. So I was like between, okay, I have so many options, but different, lot. Yeah. But different cities. Mm -hmm. And basically the first few months, I got no job interview. What do you mean the first few months? Uh, so when I started looking for a job, like a full-time, yeah. part-time job, I, got, I didn't get a single job interview. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand why, you know, like I'm like, I graduated of my school, but I have also professional experience and I speak like B1 German and most of the jobs I applied for were in English anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and I like, so I learned like doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is not going to work. So I worked with my university jobs and job. Um, there's like a function in the university where they help you find a job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I worked with them. They helped me with improving my CV to meet German standards, which apparently I did not meet at all when I applied. It's a different style, yeah. 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 Mm. Uh, they reviewed my German cover letter and helped me edit it. And then suddenly I got like a bunch of job interviews. What did, did that teach you? That what you just said? I mean, when you said, when you kept doing all this, always the same, you don't expect this. Uh, a different result. What does it teach you? I think Daniel, it it taught me a good lesson in in terms of um, people might not expect that, but like at that point of time, I did not think I needed anyone to do anything. I thought I'm a very capable man. Things are gonna work out for me, like they always did. I'm like I'm great. It's gonna work. That's it. I don't need to put the extra effort. I don't, you know. I had the misconception that, you know, I could do it, to the extent that I went to one of my exams without reading a single page, believing that I'm gonna get an A plus because all of my other exams I got A plus, mm -hmm. and that mindset. And I actually failed that exam. I failed it, you know. And that mindset showed me it's like, okay, well. That was stupid. How did I think like that? Yeah. So it taught me is like, well, you know, like you need to be humble. You need to always be, always be self-aware. You always seek help when you need it. And there are a lot of things that you don't know. 
right? And sometimes it works for me because I'm lucky, but like most other times it's because I worked hard. It's not gonna work by me not putting the effort. It definitely won't work unless I'm very extremely lucky. Mm. That's what it taught me, you know, because I, I three or four months, not a single interview. Mm. I had like 207 euros in my bank account. So I was like basically struggling. Yeah, of course. More pressure, you know, hope to yeah. get an interview ASAP. And yeah. 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 But I mean, at the same time, and you're saying that for several months, you're not getting any kind of interview. I mean, other would frustrate and would do exactly the opposite. They'll get more frustrated, more panicking. And then they're just, you know, get whatever, uh, any kind of job, whatever it is, not even what they want to do. But then on the other side, on your, in your situation you reflected what could have been what can be what can be done different and you ask for help you ask for support uh, in yeah. locations people who might be able to support you and that's a good insight as well i mean you know not just knowing that something needs to be changed you also ask for help yeah and that's a good skill absolutely absolutely yeah. Which kind of reflects me again. It's a very interesting uh, entrepreneurship uh, mindset and skill. I mean, when you don't know why what happened, uh, reaching out to people who know more. It's the same as hiring people, you know, hiring people which know more about the subject and learn from them. It's the same. Absolutely. Or they can support you. Um, so, yet walk me through a little bit through the, the time uh, when you went back and working in Gaza Sky Geeks. How was that experience for you? Tell us a little bit more about that scene in Gaza uh, Stripe. Because um, for me, you know, the very first time I met you and I met the teams on the top of my head, I remember very well in the first few weeks, I was blown away from the quality of the teams, but also that mindset of the founders I could not have seen that in other countries, not even in, in Germany, to be very frank. So I found it very interesting what power or what potential actually lies in the young generation in, in, uh, in the entrepreneurship ecosystem in Palestine. So walk us through a little bit from your experience back at that time, and then maybe to also share how is the situation right now in terms of entrepreneurship, in terms of economy situation there, how it supports it young entrepreneurs and so on. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, I went back to work at Gaza Sky Geeks, which is a combined co-working space, startup acceleration program, code academy, and freelance academy uh, that is hosted by like a big community of Palestinians who want to learn and, and grow in the tech ecosystem. Um, we describe like the Palestinian ecosystem as a startup ecosystem as a nascent ecosystem. It's still very young, but like starting to pick up. Now, um, we have a very like, we have a very density of highly educated people. Uh, I think that the education is, is above 99% of people go to get their university degree. Uh, it's a, I think it's 98 or 97 amongst women as well. So very high. Almost everyone goes to school and studies. Um, we have like several thousands of tech graduates. Uh, so software engineering, IT, design every single year in Gaza specifically. And in Palestine, the numbers are higher, of course. 
and uh, but high but very high unemployment rate mm -hmm. now what what we try to do is we try to help them find jobs online in the freelance academy or gigs you know like freelance work mm -hmm. we do the code academy we help them learn how to code if they're not strong enough coders to become junior developers we have a placement team that helps place them within internships and scholarships for example we have an internship program with google now in london so we place them in remote internships with google startups in london um, we have a startup program where we help the ones who want to build companies and solutions to build these solutions um, our like i think a love a lot of what's going on is due to the team that we have all having the mindset that they want to create an impact, all working at GSG because they want to improve the situation and build the tech ecosystem. Um, our director did a really, really good job of like basically showing us the vision and aligning us all on, on that vision. So that means like with the entrepreneurs we work with, you know, like we have the curriculum, we have the mentors like you who help us with uh, improving the quality and the pipeline and with the education piece and one-to-one -one coaching and mentorship with the entrepreneurs we work with. But also we try to understand what is needed in, in, for these entrepreneurs. Some of them, they don't have a business mindset or business background. Others, they don't have technical co-founders. So how do we tailor our support to each one of them, support them to get to that stage where they could, you know, build uh, companies? Mm -hmm. Now, you know, like building startups is extremely hard. The success rates are very low, but we work with very few people. So we're trying to increase our success rate. Mm. Um, so most, you know, for since 2018, our first cohort that we did, until now, we're getting more and more people um, succeeding and becoming sustainable. I was talking to one of our startups yesterday, um, and they graduated last year. They're focused on the Palestinian market, and they're making um, 700,000 shekels in revenue per month, which is about 200,000-ish dollars per month in revenue. And they're a team of 13 right. people employing like 50 other um, wow. logistics people. And that's a huge impact. That's all I want to see, you know. Um, we didn't see these numbers before this year. Like before that, like our service would make like 12000 15000 $50,000 a year. Mm. You know? This one is now making 200000 a month. Mm. Also from this year, we're seeing more and more of them like creating more jobs and also creating more opportunities and attracting more investment. Yeah. Four years ago, when we, we started like the incubation accession in 2015, I joined in 2018. Mm -hmm. Now, since then, since 2015, it has been improving. I think the team that was before me did an excellent job of spreading the culture of entrepreneurship. Then we picked up and started, you know, like building better, like enabling better entrepreneurs and startups. Mm. And now 
Um, this year, the results are much better than the years before in terms, for example, we graduated in startups, two of them got investment, the three of them got accepted to Saudi acceleration programs, which will give them $50,000 investment each. Mm-hmm. Uh, three of them are accepted into a later stage accelerator that is done by Rainmaking in the UK. Um, but we're still young and new. We're still trying to pick up and, uh, and improve the, the quality and the outputs. Mm, I mean, when you say, for example, that one startup you spoke to yesterday, I mean, was kind of has a revenue of $200,000. Um, I mean, it's kind of creating a ripple effect. As you said, like it creates job. Uh, jobs create other jobs. Uh, when we talk about jobs, we're talking about human beings, young people, you know, giving perspective, hope. Um, future vision and so on. So it's kind of creating an ecosystem. Um, but at the same time, when I'm hearing out what you just said about the last few years in Gaza Sky Geeks, I mean, starting completely from scratch in 2015, and over time developing that at uh, different channels as well and, uh, and the programs, um, it is also in a retro perspective, it creates role models. So every startup, every founder, every team is a role model for other young people to see that it is possible. You know, seeing, not just talking, yeah, we're going to build something, but actually seeing the result also creates role models and inspiration for other young people to join. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're trying to like, for in order for people to actually continue to create companies or like to not just like create companies, but like basically think that thing think that things are possible, they need mm-hmm. to see others that have done it. You know, if you see someone who got scholarship in the US, you know, well, you could get a scholarship in the US. If you see someone who built a company, you know that this is possible. You could build a company. If someone gets an investment, then well, we could get an investment. Right. So like the doors, the first movers, you know, like the first achievers show everyone else that things that they thought are far fetched are actually possible. And that's that's the important piece. Mm. When you now look ahead, um, let me just going to the present moment and we're looking a little bit in the future, uh, talking about Gaza Sky Geeks, but also about your next life chapter. What will it contain? My next life chapter? Yeah, what would you wish for to have it? Mm. That's interesting. I've been trying to put a lot of thought into this over the past two years. Mm-hmm. And until like last year, I was very clear on what I wanted to do, which is create more impact, but not necessarily just to create that impact in Palestine. It's like, how can I be involved in something or start something that would create impact on a much bigger scale? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, <clears throat> like Outside it, of Palestine, including Palestine, like, but international. Just, yeah, not just Palestine, mm. but there are many other people who could, you know, like that need help and need support. And like, how can I, like, I wanted, I necessarily, 
I didn't choose what I wanted to do, but I said, like, if I do anything, I want to be doing something that impacts many people. Mm-hmm. That will support and help many, many more people, not just in Palestine. Um, and that's, that's, that's what I was, you know, thinking. Um, until recently, I was, you know, like, I'm, I'm starting to rethink that, you know, and say, well, how can I, what can I do in Palestine that would impact the, pe- the, the people's life much more in here that then we could scale to other places? Instead of me jumping the gun now and trying to do something on a much bigger scale, what can I learn here? Because if it worked here, it's probably going to work elsewhere that we could replicate in other places. Yes. And that's what I'm thinking about now is like, how do I continue to grow? The next chapter is like, how do we build the ecosystem in here, you know, and leave a legacy where people do not depend on me or depend on Gaza Sky Geeks anymore, that they're self-independent and other people are dependent on them and they're creating more people that are dependent on them and create that ripple effect and then go and create that and in other places. Mm-hmm. So an organic growth, more or less. Yeah. There's no middleman anymore, you know, um, bottleneck. It's an organic growth. Interesting. Yeah. But I think the next chapter is going to have information about my wife and kids. Mm-hmm. I have a wife now, but I still don't have kids. I got married like two months ago. So I'm sure like once I have my first kids, it's probably going to like, you know, my next chapter is all about him or her to some extent. Uh, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, nice. So we'll see. Gonna put, yeah, full pack next chapter. Unforeseen yeah. kind of chapter, which, you know, you cannot really prepare some for something like this, you know, with family. I mean, you can prepare, but often it comes completely different, you know, it comes yeah. to feelings and what else. Everything else becomes, that's exciting. Um, that last chapter, when we talked about quickly chapter three, you know, to the present moment, I just want to quickly t- double check with you, like, how would you call that chapter till the present moment? Uh, where we, we talked about the Coca-Cola, the being in Germany, and then going back to, to Gaza. How would you, what name would you give that chapter three? One, well, it's progress uh-huh. um, or reflection. Since I got back here, I did so much reflection on my life. I did so much reflection. I learned so many new. What I love most about my work is it allows me to learn so many new things. Like I never do. I don't do the same thing again. But like also, I had I led a team in a professional setting for the first time with Gaza Sky Geeks. Mm-hmm. You know? So build. Building my team was a big challenge, you know, like hiring is a, like decisions are a big challenge, but also leading others, aligning them on vision. And I, I'm, the way I could do that, I tried to do that on my own for some time and I didn't feel good. The way I was able to do that is by getting a coach. Mm-hmm. My coach has been amazing. He allowed me to reflect. He was a mirror to me. Uh, so that, like that whole phase is reflection, self-awareness, you know, being present to things, to my emotions, making choices rather than reacting to things or jumping on things. Uh, so that's why I like reflection, but I also like progress because 
I feel like I made more progress within my own self these past like three, four years than I have done maybe my entire life. Mm. Yeah. So I became very present to my emotions. I became very good at communicating them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I became very comfortable with my vulnerabilities, what I can do and can do, and very authentic to the people. I, I like to believe that I've become that, you know, like so that <laughs> I, I don't, um, which makes me like have very, very good conversations, especially in tough situations now. In mm. situations where it's, you know, you have to have clear, focused mind, uh, structured sentences, but also keep, as you said, like, you know, that self-awareness element quite high in stressful situations. Yeah, that's super important, you know, also in that environment where you're working at. Um, yeah, we're coming to the end. And uh, just looking at the time, you almost talked for two hours. Can you believe it? It's just, uh, you know, and to be honest, I could have talked with you much more. I can go much more in details and could talk with you for hours. Um, in the last few minutes, I just want to quickly um, want to know one thing from you. If, is, you know, when I see that book, the autobiography, I see these three chapters, you know, the first chapter, the second chapter, the third chapter, um, from build to search over um, reflection and progress. And I'm, I'm closing the book and I'm turning it around again. And I can see this kind of, you know, that point of view, you're looking down to the sand from the four, fourth floor. Um, I'm wondering what is the title? You, you mentioned in the beginning, it's something about trying, experimenting, risk-taking. Would you come up with a title now? After I feel like three chapters. Yeah, I feel it's like it's like the journey, you know, like what we've discussed is basically my journey, you know. Uh, yeah, maybe the journey is something that we could use. Uh-huh. Journey. Great summary. Um. You know, in every book, there's this copyright section and uh, copyright talks about, don't copy that. You have to ask the author. If I ask you, what advice would you give to the audience, to the listeners, to the young generation who are reading your book? Um, what advice would you give? What would you say, don't copy that? What yeah. part in your life would you recommend others not to copy? Yeah. I, I'd say, I was like, maybe two things. One is don't lose faith in yourself, you know, and what you can do. Like, do not let anyone tell you what you can or cannot do. Uh, don't do that. And don't be that. Don't be the person who tells others what they can do and can do. That's the first thing. But the, but the other one is when you're at a point of your life where you think, you know, like you could do a lot and you've achieved a lot, don't just think that like, you've outgrown other people or you've outgrown situations like I did with my exam or the job search. Um, just like always reflect, be self-aware, you know, um, you probably will have situations where, you know, like you'll miss up on things, you'll miss things up, but that's fine, that's life. 
what's good is that you capture these and you present to them and uh, and you choose what you want to do because choosing to make to do something even if it's not good like you will be more comfortable knowing that you chose it not reacted this so don't uh, lose faith um, in your abilities and what you can do powerful very very powerful I could see literally, you know, the, the, the listeners that couldn't see that, but you can actually look directly into the camera. It seems like a, it was a TV kind of <laughs> speech interview. You directly looked in the camera and that was very powerful. I was just listening to it. Very wise words. I, mean, I think everyone was listening to your three chapters and, you know, that few examples which you said that, you know, which were life-changing for you, how you overcome them, what you learned from that is already itself an insight which the listeners, no matter what age, generation, stage in their life can take from and can perhaps, you know, take with, with them to their life. Yet, thank you so much for your time. Um, actually, really looking forward maybe to see one day your, li uh, your autobiography in a in, 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 uh, in library, maybe with that title, Journey, or maybe with the other title um yeah. now free chapters but maybe in the future you will have many more chapters with family and co great yet thank you so, you so much, much. thank you so much like that was very very interesting and uh, i enjoyed it a lot thank you i love that conversation so uh where can people find more about you i'm on linkedin um may i'm uh linkedin and email and you know like Instagram are the places where I'm most active. I'm also on Facebook and uh, you know under the same name Iyad Tahrawi, I Y A D A L T A H R A W I. I'm mostly active on LinkedIn and uh, um, an email and Instagram. Great. I will also put the links in the show notes so everyone can then go directly and click on it. Great. Iyad, thank you so much for your time today. I know you have a busy day ahead, uh, uh, second half of the day. And uh, yeah, good luck. And uh, it was a pleasure talking with you. I got really inspired for your love story. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you for having me and um, asking great questions as well. So here we go. This is Iyad. And throughout the whole conversation, I kept thinking about what he said about choice. In fact, Knowing that we have a choice, how to react to a situation, gives us the power back. And we should remind ourselves on a daily basis, no matter if it's professional or private. But with all this said, hope you enjoyed this podcast and learned quite a lot of insights, also from Iyad. Looking forward to seeing you next time. Just never forget, never give up, always look up.